The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. It's Jim Cramer here. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Don't miss a minute of the action. The NYSE reopens for business today with some floor traders returning to their posts. We're not joining them just yet, but we're hoping to safely be back at post nine in the near future. Good Tuesday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Jim Cramer, David Faber, coming to you live from separate locations. Uh, futures up 580 as the Bulls have multiple tailwinds today. Vaccine news, accelerated lifting of restrictions in Europe. Oil, Jim, cracks 3450. Uh, second week in a row that's starting out in just the right way. Yes, look, I, I think that there are people who just feel that this uh, great shutdown is over. Uh, obviously, it's worldwide. Uh, and that the spending will begin again. And I keep hearing that there are a surprising number of survivors, that it, it is not as bad as we thought, that, that, that with the exception of some mortgages and some credit card, the forbearance won't really uh, reverberate through the system. Obviously, reverberate to the banks. And I know there's people who want to try to get the banks going. I say stick with what's working. I know it's boring. I know that people want to rotate. It's something that portfolio managers love to do. I don't like to rotate into any stocks that are going to have numbers cut. And that's really important. And I'm looking at David Faber, who looks, of course, fabulous. And I'm thinking about him because it's the credit markets we have to worry about, not the stocks. They look great. Well, what's your concern in the credit market specifically, Jim? Well, I mean, like Hertz goes. Yeah. Like Hertz. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, it's not like Hertz is nothing. Hertz owns a lot of cars. Uh, Hertz has a lot of debt piled on. And we just don't we can't say that, you know what, not to worry about Hertz. Macy's one point one billion. Do we want to buy that one point one billion? I don't know. You're talking there about their decision to try to sell one point one billion of, of notes due in 2025. I mean, what is something like that going to be priced at is is a key question. Seven, eight or six. You think six? I don't know. Look at the yield. Look yeah. at the yield in the common stock. But then we have Regeneron, which feels so much to me like when they, uh, Carl, when they came in, uh, when PNC came in and sold uh, BlackRock. And if you got any, you crushed it. I am urging people on this deal to try to get as much Regeneron as possible. Regeneron's buying five, five billion of it. Sanofi needs the money. It's not Regeneron directed. Regeneron's got monoclonal antibody. Regeneron's got a great oncology franchise, the ILEA franchise. That's the stock today, just like BlackRock was the stock when PNC needed the money. Yeah, our biggest uh, public equity offering ever in healthcare, uh, and you're right, Jim. Santa Fe needs the money for cancer, and I guess you could, by extension, uh, deduce that Regeneron feels pretty good about their prospects, whether it's ILEA or vaccines. Totally, and, and it, don't forget they have this uh, anti-cancer. Uh, uh, just, it, it, it's rather amazing. If it weren't for the pandemic, we would be talking about their anti-cancer drug. Uh, this is a remarkable company. It's been inventive. There's another company that people are bidding up, Novavax. They've never come up with anything. Regeneron has come up with so many things. Buy Regeneron on the Sanofi giveaway. 
uh, we should specifically uh, explain to people. I mean, Sanofi has owned a, a good amount of this company for quite some time. They're going to, uh, uh, in fact, 23.2 million shares. They're going to sell 12.8 million shares in a public offering, a secondary, a true secondary, actually. And then, as you point out, Jim and Carl, of course, Regeneron's going to step up and buy $5 billion. You know, you do wonder, though, Jim, do they really want to add a billion and a half in debt to their balance sheet? They're using three and a half billion in cash. It's just a funny time to be adding debt to buyback stock. Right. I mean, I think, that, look, it's a 7% anti-dilutive. Uh, they generate a huge amount of cash. They are so bullish on their prospects that I really feel it's a level of confidence that you rarely see, especially when everyone's pulling down revolvers and everyone's trying to, to fight for cash. Regeneron has a huge franchise in this ILEA, uh, and it's, it's just an unassailable franchise that's for immaculate generation. And I just think that what will happen with this is uh, there's so many ways to win. They've got a great anti-eczema drug, which can be uh, uh, moved across a lot of different fields. Uh, is it as good as buying BlackRock? I mean, in BlackRock, you know, PNC just gave it away. Yeah. Sanofi doesn't have to give away because Sanofi's doing fine. But Sanofi needs money to do uh, a lot of experimental stuff. And I don't, I'm not even counting anything monoclonal antibody for Regeneron or vaccine Regeneron, because that's too much hype. I mean, look at Novavax. That's too high. Maybe Merck with this combination of a company they bought with that has conquered measles. But I really uh, think that Regeneron's got a lot more going for it than right. anything involving COVID. And, and Carl, it's another example as well of the incredible level of activity in the capital markets. Obviously, Jim referenced uh, the debt side of it, and that has been extraordinary uh, to say nothing. But there has also been both the convertible preferreds and these straight equity offerings, typically in a secondary. You mentioned, of course, the PNC sale of BlackRock. Let's not forget as well that you're going to have SoftBank sell a good amount of T-Mobile in a secondary once they get the requisite sign-offs from Deutsche Tell. Deutsche Tell also stepping up, remember, to buy back some of that stake, very similar in some ways to what we're seeing here, but a lot of it will go into the market. So an enormous amount of activity, guys, when it just comes in general to the capital markets, led by debt, but surprising amount of equity as well. Right. I mean, it's just kind of a, a, right. a more, more exciting time, Carl, than, than you'd think. I mean, we're in a pandemic and yet people are, you know, companies are just doing these huge trades as if we're not in a pandemic. So then um, what, what cue do, do equities take from the month of May, which we've already talked about setting all kinds of records on the corporate debt side? And what happens when the the debt market by just the sheer momentum, Jim, cools off a bit. Well, I was reading Niall Ferguson last night uh, on an excellent piece that was put out along with Salesforce. And I think that I think that what's happening is this. I think people are saying, you know what? We really shut down the economy too much. We overshot. And this is going to be, I think, the ethos. We overshot. And there are a lot more industries that are doing better than we think or certainly can start doing better. I still say, don't forget the small business guys, two months was way too much. They are really thinly capitalized. They, many of them are not going to make it still. But I do think that that's going to be the new uh, ethos is, wait a second, the governments just didn't have to be this tough. Now, I personally feel, uh, as someone who wears a mask around town, that uh, I am grateful about the authorities. But obviously, when you look at the states that were supposed to have the big spike, and David, you see it. Yep. We we're supposed to have the big spike. We we're supposed to have a big spike in Georgia, big spike in Florida, big spike in Texas. 
Uh, we had a little spike in Alabama, but it just didn't happen. Now you could say, well, it's, yeah, hey, one more week. But we know it's uh, 11 days of uh, where there's infection. They've got that down. And I don't think there was all that much social distancing if you look at the pictures. No, the, the pictures, certainly, at least the ones that go viral uh, uh, that we all see, uh, tell that story. Um, and we'll have to wait to some extent and see. But you're right. Right now, while there have been increases and it's I mean, it hasn't gone down in terms of hospitalizations, I don't think, in those states. But it hasn't gone up dramatically. Right. I guess is your point. You know, your other point, though, Jim, about small business and the additional costs that they're going to be taking on to prepare their businesses, whatever they may be, restaurants, gyms, for example, to prepare them for this new world. That is an added cost. There's the cost of getting going again and then making sure your employees are back. A, some of them who may be making 15 bucks an hour or something like that, probably happy to stay on unemployment until the $600 a week bonus runs out at the end of July. So hard to get them back. And then the protocols in terms of when they report in, how do you go about making sure that they're fine? And what about if they're actually fine, but they say they're not fine to get a day off? I know it sounds odd, but there's a lot of different things that small businesses are going to be dealing with as they do get back to work. Yeah, I mean, look, I was at a garden store this weekend and they put up a piece of plexiglass. Nobody used it, but it was up. Now, I mean, some places, Costco are very rigorous, but and everywhere on the the eastern Long Island, it says, you no mask, uh, don't come in. But but I, I think that the small business people desperately need to come in and no one really knows the rules in this New York area. Uh, the expenses, as David said, are terrible. And a, a, a person that that, let's say, did uh, a, a PPP loan with Intuit and they did a lot of loans, eight hundred ninety uh, million dollars. It, it's a thirty three thousand dollar loan. And if it doesn't open soon, then it's just no good, because, as David said, the the competition from unemployment is so high that it, you have to see those those benefits run. And right now we are just a mass with dollars that have been provided by the government, which makes it feel like that everything's a little better than than you realize. And I don't know if it is. Yeah, that's sort of the the point of the additional dollars, Jim, is to is to provide that cushion. Um, But are we still in a period where we are, you know, we keep hearing this. We'll check back in two weeks. You got good state data. You know, the caseloads don't look too bad. Let's check back in two weeks. But but Tom Lee of Funstrat, who does a pretty good job of this, says of the 13 states that have been open for three weeks or more, at least partially going back prior to May 1, their daily caseload is down 29 percent. I mean, we're not getting that expected verdict of uh, pain because of the reopening. I think one of the things that we're finding, Carl, and Tom Lee does, does very good work, is that the scientists uh, who had been initially uh, saying it was just a bad flu season uh, then went overboard the other way and said that it's a, a death sentence. And now uh, and then the many predictions that we had about this. And I think in the Northeast, by the way, many Schadenfreude predictions like, yeah, you wait and see. Let me see what your state does. And then we, we find out that their state did OK. Uh, makes us feel like, well, did science let us down? They told us no masks on Feb 3rd. Now they tell us that masks are good, but it's too late. And the president doesn't wear a mask. Joe Biden wears a mask and he gets made fun for wearing a, ba- a mask. So even though many authorities now say, listen, if everyone had a mask, we cut it down. It's almost too late. The genie's out of the bottle. 
you know, the people in the, in the really cool states are having a dynamite time. And the people in the northeast states look like they're, uh, you know, creatures from another planet. I, I, I didn't go to a, a gathering this weekend because I heard that people may not wear masks. I think people just said, you know what, there goes Kramer again. Loser. David, am I a loser? Um, uh, no, definitely not. Why did you take so long to answer that? <laughs> I was going to say, he got the right answer, though, guys. Yeah, I got uh, that. That was, that was that that was is, that, is that what, L? No, no, that's a, no. it. I don't know. I don't All know right. what I'm doing. Because you know what? I'm a loser. As we mentioned at the top, uh, the NYSC has a partial floor reopening today. We're going to talk to Stacey Cunningham, president of the NYC, about how the exchange moves forward from here. And the governor of the state of New York, uh, Cuomo, will ring the opening bell in just a few minutes. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. We're going to get some data at the top of the hour, but first let's check in with our own Rick Santelli. Hey, Rick. Hi, Carl. Indeed. Markets are on the move. Not everybody was closed yesterday, and some of these markets have had some big moves. Look at 10-year boons, the highest credit instrument sovereign in Europe, and you could see hovering just uh, under 40 basis points, minus 40 basis points. It's up from minus 48, and indeed, you can see this chart. We're close to the highest yields in a month. Now, if we look at an intraday of 10-year being closed yesterday, certainly we're up four basis points at 70 basis points. But a month-to-date chart reveals that we really need to get through here, even though we've swung up a bit. Three-quarters of 1% is resistance, and everybody continues to look at this 1% mark, both big psychological barriers. And remember, maybe higher rates aren't everybody's cup of tea, but at this point in time, as you look at that chart, it should dawn on many that low interest rates have become associated with many negatives, and rising rates with a solid equity market is really the place to be. In terms of foreign exchange today, huge moves. If you look at the dollar versus the Chinese yuan, the dollar is now at the strongest, the Chinese currency at its weakest since September, as you see on that chart. And that goes a long way. It isn't only the Chinese currency that's on the move to the downside. Many currencies are pushing the dollar down this morning. One of those is the euro. Look at the euro versus the dollar. It doesn't seem quite have the power to push through that 110 level, but that chart starts on April 1st, and clearly most of the power seems to be in the euro. We see the pound also gaining ground on the dollar, as is the yen. And the interesting thing about the euro versus the dollar, it's the exact mirror image of the dollar index, which is down today seven-eighths of a cent. And that 99 level to the downside is the same as the 110 level to the euro to the upside. My guess is is that one or both of those is going to pop through, sending the other for a trend move. And most many believe that the dollar index's strength is slowly starting to give away as the global economy starts to do better. Carl, Jim, David, back to you. All right, Rick, we'll see you in a little while for consumer confidence. Uh, Rick Santelli, when we come back after the break, uh, the first NYSE opening bell with at least some floor brokers on the floor. We'll get you that in just a few moments. Don't go away. 
Every day, thousands of Comcast engineers and technologists put people at the heart of everything they create, like Olu Sheyi, a Comcast engineer who grew up bonding with his dad over sports. This inspired him and his team to create AI Highlights technology that uses AI and machine learning to detect the major plays in a sporting event. So millions of fans have a way of catching up on their favorite sports. Learn more at ComcastCorporation.com. Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to fight rising costs of inflation or pay off your debt or anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, can help. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been helping great investors like you. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just looking for tips, Yahoo Finance makes it super easy by putting all the tools and data you need in one spot. Yahoo Finance takes a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and more. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. That's how Yahoo Finance gives you insights and helps you take a look at your wealth in its entirety. That big picture perspective is what great investors need. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor. YahooFinance.com, the number one financial destination. YahooFinance.com. That's YahooFinance.com. All right, let's get to a mad dash this morning, and I can just send it, I don't know, what is this, about 40 feet, 50 feet across to you? Something like that. Social distance of uh, extreme. Yes, it's extreme. Yeah, Although, I mean, I, I, every time, though, I want to just toss a football with you. I want to do a football at you. <laughs> All right. Okay. You and I both follow Moffitt Nathanson pretty closely. Yeah. research firm, of course, formed a number of years ago at this point. They do a lot of work, Jim, on advertising, on media industry, and Google and Facebook are both prominently mentioned in a report and you want to focus on them in the mad day. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people know that advertising is going down because we're in a recession. Uh, but they're still spending on advertising. And what Craig Moffat sees is an evolution now, I guess it's actually now a, 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 almost a revolution, into Google and Facebook. Now, he might say that's too much of a distillation and, and too simplistic. But when I read the piece, I said, this is one of the reasons why, even though there's tons of people who want to rotate, they might want to rotate into uh, other forms of media. In the end, Google and Facebook are winners, particularly for small business. It's a place for them to go. So I just mentioned as a metaphor for those who want so badly to rotate into an Eaton, say, which was downgraded, or into something aerospace as you see those stocks fly. Remember, they are not getting a lot of business, and you are presuming business. I know people want to buy the cruise ships. I know they want to buy the airlines. That's very exciting off the bottom. But remember, airlines owe the government a lot of money, and cruise ships are about bookings. And you're not allowed to, you're not allowed to go. You're buying a company that's not allowed to be in business right now. So I would rather be in a Facebook. I would rather be in an Alphabet, which right now are very open for business. Now, you know, we had wondered back in, let's call it late March, whether given the decline amongst small and medium-sized businesses or the need to conserve capital would result in, uh, in less spending on advertising overall and hurt Google and Facebook. At the same time, we also know big companies are cutting CapEx. Certainly, there's been a parade of them, Jim, that are not. And the first thing that can often go is marketing and advertising. So there is the is market share shrink is the market shrinking, but their market share growing. I OK, guess is my so question. I have Intuit on tonight. Intuit in several different presentations has said the following. 
Because of desperation, because their stores are closed, because of issues involving COVID, they have no choice but to become omnichannel. And it is just a, an incredible, incredible secular change toward being omnichannel. And when they have those incremental dollars, they're giving them to Facebook and they're giving them to Google. And that is something to watch because, remember, a lot of small businesses, they need some cash coming in. Yep. Uh, it's very interesting that uh, you saw something Mark Zuckerberg was genuinely interested in, which is the small business initiative, of which there's a lot of leverage if you can get you know, people looking at the ads. Right. Uh, well, that's where it's going yeah. because they're desperate. They're absolutely desperate. And we, we did see commentary from some of the media companies that own local stations uh, that it's very weak, as you might imagine. Restaurants, gyms, auto dealerships, all of those key part of, of local advertising, Jim, not happening, at least on typical uh, broadcast. No. All right, coming up, NYC President Stacey Cunningham. This, of course, is the big board reopens for business today with some floor traders returning to their posts. Stay with us. It is an historic morning at the New York Stock Exchange, which will open to uh, floor brokers for the first time since it closed on March 23rd, longest the exchange has ever been closed for that long. Uh, Governor Cuomo will ring the opening bell uh, in a few moments and then hold his daily press briefing live from the boardroom at 11.30 a.m. Eastern Time, uh, Jim. But liability waivers can't take public transportation. They're going to have partitions, temperature checks. We're going to see how this goes, and then hopefully... Uh, at some point in the not-too-distant future, we'll join them down there. Uh, look, I always think that the greatness of the place is the, well, the excitement, the crowds, the, the emphasis on w- what's hot, on the uh, next open, the next deal. It's so, so exciting. Whoever rings the bell, and if it's just going to be social distancing and a skeleton group, uh, it will lose its allure, I think. Uh, I think that we will become, uh, this is not hubris, but Post 9 will become the, the representative of the floor if the floor is uh, so Spartan. Uh, that's what I think is going to happen. It's going to be about uh, us, which is a little crazy. We're just the media. See the governor there, Governor Cuomo, is going to be ringing the opening bell, making his way into the uh, NYSE. Oh, he did an elbow bump there. Uh, I'm not sure that's uh, allowed. No, that was that Fauci said. No. Yeah, that's uh, but there you can see going in. Of course, we're very familiar with that. I don't know, Jim, you know, when question for me continues to be and this is for a lot of people whose employees take mass transit. When are you going to feel comfortable taking mass transit? Uh, because that is still the way many people get to this to this building, including, of course, myself. Carl, so, you know, I don't know when that day is. Uh, I yep. don't know. I mean, we, ma- we look at the cities. Uh, we look at Madrid. And what happened? The subway. I mean, when you have a subway, uh, it is probably the worst incubator in, in, in the world. And by the way, temperature checks, can we just like stop it for a second and realize that the three, the worst days are when you're asymptomatic and you don't have temperature? Yeah. Uh, maybe a blood oximeter, but it, it, <laughs> it's a... I'm not saying it's a joke. It's great. Maybe it stops somebody. But we've all learned by now that, the, that a thermometer ain't the way to stop it. Nope. It's the mask. Uh, and people hate the mask. They just and the president makes well, it's all, look, I, the president mocks masks. Now, he's our leader. So, I mean, it's very hard to get behind you. You can really say, you know, I'm not going to wear a mask. Look at the president. He doesn't wear a mask. I mean, that's kind of America. It's what happens. As I look at David. Yes. Uh, we both wear masks when we're out. 
at this point. That's an expectation in this part of the world, at least. But it isn't, I think, in a lot of other places, Jim. Um, and like we'll Taiwan, see. where they have no COVID? Right. And Japan. I know. I mean, I rem- you know, having been to Tokyo, I was struck long before COVID at how many people wore masks. And clearly, it would seem they benefited from that. But a lot we don't know. Carl, there's, uh, there's Governor Cuomo getting ready and some real applause in the building for the first time in some time. Yeah, it's, uh, it's nice to hear, guys. Uh, at the big board this morning, it is New York Governor Andrew Cuomo with the president of the NYSE, Stacey Cunningham, marking the partial reopening of the New York Stock Exchange. That's an historic moment right there. We're going to talk to Stacey in a moment. Over at the NASDAQ, it's Ballard Power Systems, a fuel cell power company ringing the bell remotely. I mean, Jim, we've thought about this moment for nine weeks. It's nice to see it finally here. Yeah, but look, this is another one of those things that people can say, I feel like buying. I mean, it's obviously coming back. It's coming back. It's coming back. It's down a lot. There are a lot of down and out stocks. Let's buy Carnival. Let's buy Southwest. I actually like Southwest here. Let's go after the ones that no one's bought because you know what? It's coming to an end. And I keep thinking about 1918 and the way it came back and, uh, that's considered now to be a downer narrative, and you got to get on board. I like tons of stocks, tons, but I'm respectful of the ability of nature to really come back because uh, it has come back. But I also re- I recognize that people are sick of it, and when you're sick of it, you buy some stocks. Now, you know, Jim, value has become suddenly a, a bit of a favorite. Now, a lot of them were short. Uh, or people, investors, were short-value stocks, so it may just simply be cut, short-covering here because we've been waiting, well, forever, it seems like, for value right. to outperform growth, which has not happened, but uh, there's always hope. There's always hope somehow that this will be the time, if you can find value in this market. Well, I mean, look, I, I, I was uh, looking at, at Rockwell Automation, and Rockwell Automation very good company. Uh, robots in America. You know, I'll buy that. I'll buy that. But then again, I mean, I'm looking at Dow Chemical and I'm looking at DuPont. And I'm saying, oh, like, I don't know. And the number's too high. I mean, if fiddling was on last week, I worry about the numbers. I cannot buy uh, Carnival and think, or Norwegian and think that the numbers are weak, although I looked at Bookie and Norwegian Cruise for the spring of next year as an option on what is going on with the vaccine because the prices are absurd. They're one-third what they were. You can have a very exclusive thing for what used to be the one that is uh, not exclusive. And if they have a, if we have a vaccine all aboard, gayo, gung-ho. Gung-ho. Um, you know, on that note, uh, Carl, it is worth mentioning Merck's news this morning. Um, it involves a number of different things. Um, one is uh, that they did acquire um, a vaccine maker. But the other is, is involves a company that we've had on a couple of times. Um, Ridgeback Biotherapeutics is, again, you take a look at people entering the New York Stock Exchange with their masks and the, I guess the governor... Governor getting ready, Governor Cuomo of New York uh, leaving as well, um, the exchange after having rung the bell. Um, but it's also about antivirals. And Merck this morning also announcing uh, this uh, partnership with Ridgeback Biotherapeutics, again, a company we've had on a couple of times that's developing an oral antiviral uh, in conjunction with science from Emory University. Worth mentioning uh, it this morning because uh, they do announce they've entered a collaboration agreement to develop the compound an orally available antiviral candidate currently in early clinical development. Um, in fact, 
there is a hope that they will be moving into COVID patients, testing the, uh, the uh, antiviral and COVID patients very soon. They've already done the dosing part of it in, uh, in the trial so far uh, and have been successful at fairly high, at high doses in terms of uh, uh, safety. Uh, and it, it, it quotes here from Roger Perlmutter, very well-known, Jim, as you know, guy was at Amgen and is back at Merck, sure. president of Merck Research Laboratories, talking about it positively in terms of saying uh, phase one studies have demonstrated the compounds well tolerated. And since preclinical studies demonstrate uh, it has potent antiviral properties against multiple coronavirus strains, including SARS-CoV-2, we're eager to advance the next phase of clinical studies. Uh, they're getting exclusive worldwide rights to develop and commercialize that they'll be in charge of all manufacturing uh, as well. Uh, from here and clinical development also. It really is incredible that there are people who want to be in these trials. I mean, I asked my doctor, I said, listen, I'd like to be in the Moderna trial. I, there's a new, couple of New York hospitals, the Moderna trial. And he looked at me like I had three heads. Like, why would you want to be in that trial? I said, well, I don't know. I'm in at risk. I'd like to just give it, give it a shot, so to speak. And, and he said, the people who are doing this are just really brave souls. Because there is absolutely nothing proven in the science that would make it so that you would want to do this. So, I don't know, I salute the people who are in there doing it. But holy cow, I mean, you're being injected with something. You're healthy, and you're being injected with something that could be horrible. And yet there's tons of people that want to be in these tests. There are. There are. Listen, the, 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 what has made people hopeful as well when it comes to a vaccine, Jim, is, you know, remember the animal data for SARS-1 vaccine was bad. It made animals uh, sicker right. and worse. But the animal data for SARS-2, for COVID-19, uh, has been good. Uh, and so that is a good thing. By the way, Merck itself has a coronavirus vaccine for animals already. Um, and so there is that question. There's also some you know, people who believe that given you can be asymptomatic, there's a possibility that you would not need the most powerful immune response from a vaccine to actually give you immunity um, because so many people are asymptomatic as well. Um, but antivirals are another important part of this, remember, as, particularly as it, as it uh, deals with people's willingness to go back out and engage in full economic activity and engage in the world. If you have an antiviral that can be taken early on, uh, that would be very powerful. That's what Merck is now partnering with Ridgeback on. That's what Regen- That's what many are working on. There are many Regeneron, out there. Yeah. Uh, I did speak, remember, to Wayne Holman. I mentioned him from Ridgeback a uh, number of weeks back, actually almost a couple of months back, when they were first moving into trials. Here's what we had to say about his hopes at that point. Our vision for any product, but we think 2801 is perhaps the best product that's ready to be tested in humans. Uh, that has the highest probability of achieving this sort of profile could be a pill that you take twice a day for three to five days as soon as you get symptoms. You knock down the virus early. You avoid hospital pneumonia, ventilator, ICU, and, of course, we want to prevent people from, uh, you know, we want to increase survival. Uh, All antivirals work better if you use them early. Um, So that's the vision. And obviously, with Merck involved, Jim, it becomes a vision, perhaps, that they're going to be in a better position to realize. Look, what's incredible is, is Merck, not that long ago, didn't seem like it was going to be involved. Glaxo told me, hey, listen, we don't think we're going to be involved. It, this is a space race now. Everybody that is, well, you know, Pfizer's in there. People are saying that Pfizer uh, could have a leg up. So uh, it is incredible that everyone has kind of just said, listen, we want to be the one that does it. 
Uh, and by the way, it's not for a lot of money. You don't hear uh, from these companies that it's for money. J and J, it's certainly not for money. Remember, J and J was the leader for a long time. They've got fabulous science up at Harvard. Uh, but you, in the end, I think what's really incredible is that there's only remdesivir right now. Uh, they the rock, they knocked off the hydrogen. You yeah. love that, David. Yeah. I know you were just guzzling that. Oh, yeah, you know me. I was yeah. just giving them out to everybody. Right. Here you go. Right. Just prescriptions that you went yeah. yeah, Dr. Yeah, yeah. No, David's favor. For, yeah, just here. Sure. But, you know, the president gave that, I think, was part of the Mnuchin plan. But it, that's uh, a joke. But I do think that one of the things that's incredible is how poorly everybody's done so far. Novavax is in there. Novavax has ever, never even had a drug approved, a vaccine approved. And, there, you know, the stock is up. I had Novavax when they were on at like 11. And by the end of the interview, they were like at 22. And, and I mean, people are playing this one. And if you say something bad about Novavax, you are torched because Novavax, the one. I mean, everyone has these different ones they bet on. It's very Kentucky Derby like, very odd because it's people's lives. But it does feel that uh, that people just think it's all game on. Oh, look at that. I had him on I had him 40 yeah, points ago. $52 stock right now. Yeah. Up well, 14%, Carl. You know, your point though, Jim, your your derby uh, your derby analogy is a good one. I mean, Moderna's down 6% this morning. It's almost as if people believe it's going to be one or the other and Gottlieb's point this morning is that that's likely to be not the case that there might end up being a uh, pallet of opportunities on vaccines. Some might go to higher risk patients, some uh, to the elderly versus kids. So uh, it's interesting the way people are parsing this. By the way, uh, Ken Frazier is going to be on Closing Bell uh, later on this afternoon. And then Novavax, you know, we're going to have to wait until July until we get those results. Well, if you want to have some uh, some science, uh, Jensen Wong, uh, NVIDIA, on Friday, he goes over what you need and what's different this time. I mean, all of the naysayers and the short sellers that I talked about vaccines talk about four years. But a lot of what was going on in a delay in, in, during this long period when people were doing vaccines had to do with the science and had to do with being able to come up with the permutations. And NVIDIA's chips, uh, Amazon Web Services, these are things that make it so that we're going to have it ahead of time. And I think that's terrific because uh, it's one of these shots on goal is going to win. Now, is it going to be the end of 2020 like the president says? Uh, it's hard to find drug companies that are willing to give themselves that. Moderna is. But if you read Stat, which has become my new go-to, uh, <laughs> you'll see that there are serious reactions to Stat. It's good. Serious reactions by one guy. the market, yeah. Right. And, and, you know, we don't want any reactions. But the people are moving so quickly. Jensen Wong, NVIDIA, not of this world. Just not... I don't know. I mean, alien? Alien, then. You, alien. You're saying he's an alien. Well, I think yeah. when, you, when you talked with Einstein, I think that you got that feeling that maybe mm-hmm. you were not as smart. Mm-hmm. That's how I feel when I speak to Jensen. Even though he gave my dog, NVIDIA, a pass to go in to headquarters. I would hope so. Yeah, well, get your yeah. namesake. I would, think, I would think so. Yeah. Not, and not even a need for a mask or anything else. No, no NVIDIA's in. ready to roll. Um, NVIDIA only up, though, a very, a very little, obviously a huge run already, and the stock up 149 percent over the last 12 months. But to the point I made earlier, guys, I mean, value, you know, you're seeing names, again, value in the eyes of the beholder. But GE's up 6 percent. The banks, Jim, are seeing a significant move this morning as well, whereas some of the, the higher growth names that we've become accustomed to that have performed so well already this year 
Yes, perform well, period. The likes of Apple up over 9%, right. and Alphabet up 7%, Facebook up 16%, Amazon 32%. Those are not showing quite as big a moves as well. Well, look, I, there's so much catch-up to do. If you look at the real estate investment trusts, I mean, it, these have been so horrendous. I mean, I think what people are doing is saying, okay, what's been horrendous, all right? Let's just go and say, well, Norwegian Cruise has been horrendous. Well, United, how about fashion, PBH? That's been horrendous. So, I mean, the horrendous trade is on. Game on for horrendous. Uh, but then day two, you know, these analysts come out and say, I, I actually want to uh, downgrade right. the horrendous. And so be aware of the downgrade horrendous. That's tomorrow's business. Changing. Sort of brings to mind, Jim, the levels we hit today. Uh, uh, S&P 3000, first time since March 5th. Uh, some discussion here about how long it needs to live above that level of the 200-day uh, to be legit. I mean, Miller Tabak's out this morning suggesting that it's the next 100-point move in the S&P over the next couple of weeks, let's say, that really matters. What do you think? Well, look, I, I got, because of your work, Carl, I went and got, uh, went to Carolyn Baroden, who's my best Fibonacci person, and there is an up, up, and away trade. Uh, and just be aware of that just from the axis uh, and, and where it could, you know, that's, they figure out the time and the axis. And, yeah, I mean, we're in, um, we're in liftoff zone. And I, I think the liftoff is coming from people who are saying, I can buy Gap. I mean, these guys are falling into the Gap. I mean, what are they buying Gap for? Well, they're buying Gap because it's very low. But how about sales? How about earnings? Well, no, no, you don't understand. What we're buying is something that's low because the economy's opening. And as soon as it's open, people are going to go to the gap. Well, the latter part is not really true because they're in the mall. And, and the mall is not that intriguing. I do like the oil trade because at 35, a lot of oils come alive and there's been a big shutdown in the Permian. Uh, and you're going to see prices go up a little higher even. And that's. That's a welcome trade for EOG and for Pioneer. And then the ubiquitous Chevron, which I think goes to 100 because Mike Worth's got the best balance sheet. Mike Worth. Yes. Yeah, 34.50. Uh, that's uh, we got to 34.81 this morning. Mike, that's Mike's uh, level. Interesting uh, month in, in oil. Yeah. Uh, Jim, let's get down to the floor of the NYSE with uh, President Stacey Cunningham and our own Bob Pisani this morning. Hi, Bob. Hello, Carl. And uh, Stacy. good to see you. Congratulations on being back. All of us look forward to joining you as soon as possible. You don't get any better than having the governor ring the opening bell with you. How do you feel about reopening the floor today? No, it feels great, Bob. It's great. Great to can't wait to have you back here in person. But but it's a great start. And it was an honor to have the governor with us this morning as well. His leadership has been tremendous throughout this process. Now, tell us a little bit about the timetable for reopening. We all know only a small portion of the floor brokers are back, only about 25 percent, maybe 80 of them right now. The designated market makers that make the markets aren't back yet. Some of the other major, bigger floor brokers are not back yet. Can you give us some idea? Uh, is there a timetable for bringing everybody else back? Now, just like we didn't have a timetable when we shut down March 23rd and it was not clear it was going to be based on the conditions and, and the protections in place, it's the same right now. We started small with about 25% of the, trading, of the trading floor, as you mentioned, heavily skewed toward the businesses that are most impacted, the small to mid-sized uh, firms. And, and we'll, we'll see how this plays out over the next few weeks. Reopening isn't certain, is certainly is not going back to normal. That's not the point. Yeah. 
there's been some very complicated legal and medical issues involved in the reopening, and I guess all companies are going to face this. The NYC uh, not alone on this. Uh, we've had a lot of questions about this indemnification agreement that you're requiring people to sign, promising uh, to indemnify the NYSE against any lawsuits. There's been some reports that some firms are balking at signing them. Uh, can you explain to us why an indemnification agreement was required? Yeah, Bob, I think the, the most important part about that waiver is acknowledging that they're going to commit to following our protections. Keeping in mind that the traders on the floor are not employees of the New York Stock Exchange. So we don't have the ability to tell them they can't come in unless they agree to follow the terms of, of this agreement, which is why it was so important. That agreement is really focused on wearing your masks, keeping social distancing, and committing to take those steps to protect each other, to protect the others on the, on the floor, because it's not just about protecting yourself and your own comfort level, it's about protecting those around you. Some of the big firms have chosen not to come back just yet, which is fine. No one is compelled to come back, not our employees, not anybody on the trading floor. What we're doing is opening up and saying they have the ability to come back if we can start to, to take things slowly. And so that's a, a decision made differently by each, each firm and each individual. Stacy, walk us through the, the expected uh, procedure when we get a positive case. You said in your journal piece that the, the, we're not going to eliminate risk completely. So if we get a positive case from the floor, does it close again or is that is this full closure again kind of off the table? No, we, when we paused for the past two months, we took the opportunity to learn a lot about this virus. And what we've learned is how to protect ourselves. So it's not designed to prevent an individual case. Somebody may be exposed outside of this building, show up here and we find out that they tested positive. The protections that we put in place have been designed to prevent from an outbreak so that there, that likelihood is, uh, of infection passing around the floor is greatly diminished by the protections we have, like PPE, like social distancing. We've been taking the advice of public health experts and, and, and government authorities and state and local uh, executives so that we can make sure that we're protecting the community as best. We've been working with Scott Gottlieb, the uh, former FDA commissioner, who I know you know well, and he's been giving us some advice on this too. And that, that we're all designed to prevent an outbreak. So, so Stacey, let's think about this. Uh, before when there were, let's say, an IPO, there were a lot of people out there bidding. Uh, it was very exciting. Obviously, you can't do that kind of close quarters anymore. Uh, it, it, did you find that things moved and, and were as smooth without people as with people? What we saw was trading continued to function smoothly, but not quite as good as it did when there were people involved. So stocks trade with a little bit more volatility, a little bit less volume and liquidity, especially at the end of the trading day around the closing auction, where about a third of the volume in the closing auction comes from the brokers on the trading floor. So what we saw was, yes, things functioned. Electronic market, markets can run, but you lose that benefit of human judgment that dampens volatil volatility, narrows bid-ask spreads. So that's what we're looking to, to reintroduce slowly. Okay, and uh, there are been uh, companies that use temperature checks, but the temperature checks do not uh, find the people who are in day two or day three. Mm -hmm. uh, what do we do with the people who are those days uh, and, and can't really uh, be found out through temperature checks? It's all about layers of protection, Jim. So if you take a number of measures and put them all together, you reduce the overall risk. So temperature checks is just one of those layer of protections. PPE is another one, social distancing. All of those combined together reduces the likelihood of an outbreak. 
Stacey, let me just follow up on that question. I mentioned there was complicated legal and medical issues. You addressed the legal issue. I just want to follow up on Jim's question because I get this asked all the time. Why aren't you requiring a coronavirus test? Uh, The temperature test, as Jim noted, doesn't test asymptomatic people. There were people infected on the floor before, even with a temperature test. So I guess, is there a problem with actually doing a coronavirus test? We know that's not 100% accurate, but it's better than a temperature test. Was it not feasible? Can you just explain your thinking it's on another, that? It's another layer, and what we're seeing is, is combining all those things. So testing is part of being able, if somebody doesn't pass that medical screening uh, questionnaire and temperature check, they can't come in without a negative test result, or they can choose to self-quarantine for 14 days before they were to come back. So testing is another layer of, of uh, protection but we're not requiring every single person to get tested before they can come in. Was, te- was a temperature, was a coronavirus test not feasible? It could, couldn't do it at the door? Was it technically feasible? I'm just curious about why there wasn't a decision made to do that, given we do have them. They do exist right now. Yeah, we're not requiring anybody to get tested. We're not, we're not asking them to take, to, to take that measure. We're protecting the people who come into the building by making sure that they're there are, are not symptoms, there are not indicators of, of a higher level of risk, and testing is a component of that uh, system, but not, it's not a blanket test that's being applied to everybody. But as we've seen over the past two months, new information comes out all the time. There are new tests, there are new, there are new protective measures. We're constantly going to be evolving what we have and what our process and procedures are, and importantly, that might look like an expansion or a retraction over time. So. We're, we're ready to be flexible based on the information we have at hand. Carl? Okay. I think the important, um, the, import, the, the important thing, Stacey, is, of course, getting the whole stock exchange open and the country moving again. I'm wondering if other companies are going to face the same kind of dilemmas that you're facing right now. That is, the legal requirements at the door temperature tests going in. Uh, is this the sort of new normal for, for anybody going to visit any office in the United States, whether I go see the New York Stock Exchange or J.P. Morgan, or I go to a real estate closing in my building in uh, downtown Cleveland? Is, is this the new norm for, for people going to buildings in the United States? Well, yeah, we have over 2,200 listed companies. I talked to many of the CEOs over the past two months, and they're all asking those questions about what are the right protections and measures for their businesses. And each business has its own unique set of circumstances. So I do think you're going to see a, a number of companies change course as to how they protect their employees and their workforces and what that level of time is before they, they start to bring back. I, you know, I can't say this enough. Reopening is not a return to normal. It's not for us, and it shouldn't be for us around America. If people are are starting to reopen things, they still need to take the information we've learned over the past two months to protect ourselves. Otherwise, all these sacrifices people have made will be for naught. We need to make sure we continue to be smart, we continue to be safe and cautious, and businesses around the U.S. are going to take that into consideration as they think about how they want to reopen. Final question. Does the, the fact that the floor brokers haven't been there dramatically impact the business model for the New York Stock Exchange? Can you show, for example, your revenues are, are lower or pricing isn't quite as good when they're uh, not there? Is, is there any direct impact on the NYSE's business model? We know you've made it clear the floor is an important component of that. But can you show any real harm with them not being there for the last two months? I mean, we certainly see, see a, uh, uh, you know, a lot of the, the business on the, around the closing auction comes from the trading floor. We saw that o- over the past couple of months. We can do much of our business electronically, and we continue to do that. It worked really smooth, smoothly throughout these past two months, both in the equity space and, 
and the option space. We saw, well, we saw a, a downtick initially. We started to see that come back uh, pretty, pretty quickly as people got accustomed to, to the new norms. Really, what we see is the impact on prices is not quite as good as it was when people were involved. We published some data on that. There have been some other third-party studies that also looked at the deterioration in prices without the value of human judgment. So those are things where we want to get back to that full level of service because we know that trading operated just fine for the past two months, but it can be better. We do better. The reason why we have this model is because our stocks trade better, and we want to get back to that full service level. Stacey, look forward Cunningham. to being with you as soon as possible. I look forward to having you guys back here, and we'll, we'll, we'll take our time doing it, but we'll get it right. Bob, our thanks to you. Our Bob Pisani, along with uh, Stacey Cunningham of the NYSE. Uh, guys, thanks so much. Jim, interesting, and you mentioned IPOs. You know, we got that Warner Music uh, range established that's going to be a NASDAQ issue, but um, it's going to be interesting to see not just how the floor opens and operates, but how they do handle what we're used to seeing, which is a crowd of uh, visitors and guests coming into the floor in that space. Right. I mean, look, it's one of the most exciting things in the world, and it's been reduced to kind of a paper trade. Uh, I get that. You can't have crowds. I mean, I think crowds are antithetical. Uh, if the exchange were in Georgia, I guess it would be a national parade. But we are stuck with who we are, which is a regime that, frankly, has far more COVID. There, uh, we still, fortunately, have fewer deaths. But I, I do uh, look at what Stacy's trying to do. I think it's brave. Uh, I know that they use multiple levels of protection. Uh, at the same time, it's crowds. Uh, now, I don't, we don't know whether they can really make it so there's no crowd and just people screaming at each other. But uh, I, I think that I think things have changed permanently. I really do. Um, you guys, you know, we've mentioned capital markets activity. Carl just mentioned the Warner Music potential potential IPO, moving ahead with that. Of course, they had had a plan originally uh, to come public. I can remember when this company, of course, was public and had an enormously difficult time in the, given the changing nature of its business. But now streaming is everything, and it's a different profile for Warner Music. Interesting that they are now going to try. They think this market, Jim, is safe enough to actually come in with an IPO. The volatility certainly has calmed down. Uh, and then it makes you wonder, back to the NYC, all those Chinese IPOs, that yeah. legislation coming out of D.C., we'll see whether it advances or not, but that will require audits of any Chinese company that potentially has an ownership stake by the state. Uh, you know, the NYC has depended a lot, to, a, to some extent at least, on those IPOs from China. Right. Uh, they, they came often. They uh, had very sketchy financials. I know that I was upbraided by the people who were... Uh, who brought luck in uh, and told that I hadn't done any homework. I always loved that. You haven't done any homework. That's that's code for lookout. And uh, and they really pressured. I mean, they really just said, listen, Jim, you really got to do more on lock in. So I called a bunch of coffee companies. And, and but by the way, here's what they said. It's phony. I mean, they never said like, yeah, you know, the triple vente cappuccino was skim wet. You got to go to luck They said, no, luck numbers can't possibly be true. Uh, and they weren't. Uh, and maybe it's goodbye to these companies if they don't have a domestic number of American numbers. Although Alibaba had great numbers and yes. people decided we want to sell that. I think what's incredible is we were told a couple of things. We were told there'd be a lot of money pulled out of the market. There were four trillion dollars. We were told that the buybacks are going to cease. They have ceased. 
And yet there's still capital out there. Uh, I, maybe we just underestimate how much money there is and who wants in and who's missing out on a wall of green, a sea of green. Well, it does get back to the Fed, too, where interest rates are. The Fed support, of course, not for the right. stock market, but for the, the bond, bond markets market. and what that has meant overall in terms of confidence and the ability of companies to access capital in the way that they have. And really, in a, uh, uh, numbers that we've never seen. If we continue anything like that pace, we'll break all records for investment grade issuance this year. But, I mean, that's what you also hear, Jim, is just it's the Fed, the Fed, the Fed. Well, look, I mean, I had S&P Global on and the rate, you know, the rating more bonds than ever, the most bonds. It's been an extraordinary time. But if you go back to the depth of this particular biological recession depression, it came when Boeing was able to make them get the money in the private market and Carnival, which stock was just sinking like, all right, Titanic, uh, was backstop basically uh, not not pre J Powell did not say we got to save Carnival, but it made it so that you could bring debt. I think this is the one where the Fed acted very differently from 2007. Obviously, we're not done yet. Uh, there's going to be a time when the when all this money is going to run out. We'll see what will happen. But maybe it was the bridge to where we were able to add the plexiglass and uh, have fewer people in the stores uh, and flatten the curve in a way that you didn't think was possible. Yeah, that was the point. And, of course, uh, you see we're not done, uh, Jim. ECB, there's room to innovate and act rapidly and powerfully as uh, the uh, EU leaders meet in the summit tomorrow. So you got the French and the Germans working together. Uh, it's clear that the central banks are, are not done, and, and even a fifth stimulus bill in this country uh, still possibly in the works. All right, so mad money tonight. Okay, uh, we have Intuit, which is just an amazing company, and the perfect one to ask about because they are the ones that know more about small business than anyone that I know. And then Corteva, uh, this is one that was the uh, ag spinoff, and we got to ask about Monsanto, which is, looks like they've been settling the Roundup. Roundup is a, their big competitor for crop protection, uh, and it is going to be very, very exciting. Don't forget Regeneron. Put your order in. Yeah, yeah, I know. We never actually, uh, we didn't get to the Wells upgrade today. Uh, uh, overweight, 734 target. Uh, and that had actually was not really about uh, anything other than uh, other kinds of drugs, Jim. About more yeah. about the portfolio. Great, great piece. Uh, people should buy it. Look at what happened with BlackRock when, they, when it was dumped. Now, obviously, PNC was much uh, tougher, but not tougher. They needed the money. Obviously, they would say no, but I'm just looking and doing my own work. But Regeneron is spying, remember, $5 billion themselves. This is Len Schleifer, my first guest on Mad Money. The stock was at five. How did that do? It did very well. It Hi, did David. very well. Yes, it David, did. this is just different. Yes. It's I miss different. you. I'm getting a haircut, everybody. Carl. All right. So don't worry about it. It's gonna, I'm getting a haircut. That's all people care about. Yeah. Everything else we've said is secondary it to, is. to David's It hair. is. So enjoy uh, it now. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.